Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success? And how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large? Join us now in conversation. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone, and others were born to pursue their own endeavors. Chieko was born to be an entrepreneur and build community. She is a master at finding a niche and building a business around it. Over and over again in this conversation, Chieko speaks right to the tenets of this podcast. What started out as a conversation about entrepreneurship and her latest business, Island Power Yoga, ended up covering many themes and left me motivated to keep working on relationships in the many forms they come in, including my relationship with myself. And we end this episode having an interesting conversation about Harry Potter. There's not much I can say in this intro that Chieko and I don't talk about in this episode. So let's jump right in. Please join us now in conversation. You're a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> Where did that spirit come from? Well, I grew up in a home that my mom's dad had, you know, businesses prior and my aunt and uncle who were really influential in like entrepreneurship. Um, they had their own business. And so my mom's dad, so my grandpa, um, he had pizza parlors in Texas. Okay. And I have a distinct memory of probably being around seven years old, seven or eight. And I, of course, wanted to like take orders and be at the cash register. And we went to visit them for like two weeks in the summer. And he let me be a little waitress and he let me run the cash register and I got to do that. And I just thought it was so cool that we had all these little pizza parlors yeah. that were our family, you know, business. And I got to do all these different things. So I think like just at a young age, I saw that. And then my aunt and uncle had furniture stores. And um, I always had a summer job doing that. And then my mom worked for a company. So both my mom and dad had normal, um, like nine to five jobs, like working for an actual company. But in turn, like I always had a summer job working at my mom's store. And I think just as growing up in this little world, I liked the idea of being creative and they always supported it. So mm -hmm. my mom had, um, it was like kind of like a custom designer furniture store. And so we would buy, I would buy the fabric and then I would sew pillows and then I would uh -huh. go to my aunt and uncle and ask if I could sell the pillows at their, you know, furniture store. And so just even as like a child having these small little projects and I just think it really stimulated and um, encouraged my brain to look for a need. And I think that that's what I'm good at. I'm good at seeing a need and then deciding how I can fill it if it's like my gift set and my passion. Yeah. So I think it just came from a young age and being supported. What was the first 
I mean, I guess sewing the pillows and selling them was kind of your first <laughs> business. But once you grew up, what was your first uh, endeavor into owning your own small business or working for yourself? Yeah. So I think that, well, I will also say when I was in junior high, um, Interview with the Vampire came out, you uh-huh. know, with Brad Pitt and yeah. Tom Cruise. And I went to the thrift store and I bought tons of like, kind of, I was in that grunge stage in uh-huh. junior high, yeah. all the jeans. And I would make, I love Brad Pitt and I love Tom Cruise jeans. And I sold them at my private little school. And oh, that's you know, awesome. It was, so I feel like that was a really that's, good idea. That's but you know, a, just like awesome. always yeah. finding those things. Um, <laughs> but I would say my first like real business that I made a solid living on and I've kept for and I had kept for a very long time was my painting business and that was a niche in the auto industry and when you go to an um well at least you used to now it's kind of changing with the way modern technology is and the internet but you would go to an auto dealership and you'd walk on the lot and there'd be like for sale sign stickers on the cars or stickers with numbers and so um i had a little business that my cousin had introduced me to it was to go into auto dealerships and i would hand paint the signage on top of the cars um. in like bright neon paint and so that was kind of the start of that business. And then I basically always say I happen to be an entrepreneur that has a gift set that I'm artistic. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I taught myself how to paint large signage. When you would go past a store and like Santa would be riding in a sleigh with like yeah. cars pulling a sleigh instead of reindeers, I started painting that type of um, just like cool. fun, yeah. bright artwork, or if a place was going out of business or had a sale, like huge furniture sales. And I ended up having that business for like 15 years. And I ended up having um, other girls that would paint with me. And it just allowed me to kind of expand on something that I was already good at and I enjoyed and just flourish. So that was what I consider my first real business that I kept and I made it a good living on. Um, I also had a, like a spray tan business and that was really fun. Yeah. Um, I had, when I first moved to Hawaii, I started a tamale carts and I had that for a little bit. So I've just kind of always dabbled in different things. I had a coffee company and we ended up getting into like Whole Foods and I'm um, down to earth and expanding on just elevated coffee. And I had that with a business partner. And I ended up selling that to him and he took that over. But it, yeah, it's just always dabbled in different things, but that's also my personality. I I like trying on different things. My husband always says, uh-oh, Chieko's on another kick. Uh-huh. <laughs> A couple of the ones that you mentioned are niche, and especially like hand painting, business signage, which I could see that coming back and being successful again because it's kind of like counterculture now to take it offline and make it like personalized and feel different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's like something that was around forever, but it was such a niche thing. Like I remember painting at a dealership one time and a late, a late, actually not even one time, this happened all the time. People would say, is this all you do? Is, do you work for the dealership or like, is, is this all you do? And you're like, yep, this is all I do. I paint cars and they're like, you can make a living like that. And you're like, 
Actually, yeah, you can. You have to paint a lot of cars, but yeah, you can. I loved it. It was a really fun business and I'm really good at sales and Mm -hmm. it allowed my extrovert side with sales to go into the dealership and meet um, the GMs and sometimes the owners and build relationships with them and be able to do sales because you obviously have to sell Mm -hmm. what you're doing. And then I had just had long-term clients for a really long time. That's really neat because not everybody has all the aspects they need to run their own small business to, to that extent, meaning the marketing, the wanting to go out and get the the clients, and then the talent to do what it is that you're trying to sell. Still, I mean, I love doing sales. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so that was just like always a highlight. Like, oh, I get to go do sales today, and kind of like a challenge. Um, so if you have a small business and you're not good at sales, you should probably partner with somebody that is. Yes, yeah. it's a big part of it. You mentioned a couple other businesses in there, which we don't need to dig into each one, but what were some of the challenges that you came up against, whether it was starting those businesses or running those businesses? Are there any big ones that stick out to you where you go, man, I would have done that totally different, or here's what like you can encounter and here's what I did? Yeah, I think that starting off, a lot of times you are just starting a business and there's so much that goes into just starting a business that you are looking at kind of in like the microcosm. And I think maybe had I looked at it on like a bigger perspective and bigger picture, like right away starting it, like how would I like to see this business grow in a year? but also in five years. And, you know, what's my, what is my overall big goal? And when I first, my first business I started, I was like, you know, young. So I didn't have that perspective. I mean, I thought people died at 40 at that age. I was like, oh, no one, you know, so I was like, obviously at my early twenties, I just didn't have that bigger perspective. But I think that would have been a big one because then you can set yourself up to grow. Mm. And you can also step back and see like what I I was good at and then the areas that I wasn't as strong in. So then maybe bringing in another person on the team that that was their set and what they're passionate about. And then you really do get to grow as like a full team in a business. So I think that's a big one is know where you're going. You know, that old saying like you can hit the target if you're just shooting, but if you know where you're aiming, something like that, yeah. you know, you actually hit the target. So I think that was a big one. And mm-hmm. then also coming out of a mindset of a solopreneur, mm-hmm. um, and which is fine, but if you want to work yourself out of a job, then really like coming out of that mindset of running a business means that you do have systems in place and that you do have a way to train somebody else to move you out of it. and despite you're probably going to be better at it than they are for Mm -hmm. a certain amount of time. But like really to grow a business that you actually sell, you have to be able to put in the systems and people in place. I think those are two like really big ones. Um, But you know, like in the words of Ms. Frizzle, take chances. You know, you can't just not all of them worked. I, I also had started a whole bunch of stuff and they just didn't work. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay too, you know, um, taking chances as well. Not, it won't always work out. You don't always hit a home run, but mm-hmm. if you t- do enough of them, you will. Because like the tamale business, for instance, Ugh. was that something that do you like to cook? Do you have a passion for tamales? That just seems, you know, Again, ran- random. Yeah, out of, out of left field, right? Yeah. yeah, no, it was totally random. I was still in California, but I was coming to Hawaii a lot. 
Um, I had just had uh, my wedding at that time canceled. And so I was like heartbroken. And I, uh, of course, did what most people do when they first come to Hawaii. They're running away from something and they land in Hawaii to heal and have that. And so I came to Hawaii and I was surfing in Waikiki all the time. Um, one of my really good friends, she and her husband lived there and they were like, just come just come stay with us. And I was still working in California and all that, but I was just flying back and forth a lot. And just, this is where I was getting a recovery and reprieve. And I happened to notice there was a, once again, noticing a need. I, there was like a lack of Mexican food Mm. that tasted like appropriate Mexican food in Waikiki. And I remember saying one day, like after surfing, gosh, I just wish I could get some like good street tacos. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I could start a business of like street tacos. That would be really cool. And Food trucks were also like a novelty to me. I hadn't really seen food trucks in Orange County. That's mm-hmm. really a thing. Yeah. Maybe in LA, but like they were all over in Hawaii, Honolulu. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. It's like a kitchen on wheels. And so I looked into what it would be like to be handling meats and tacos. I was like, okay, this is over my head. But then I was like, I wonder if you could create something that you could prepare and they could be reheated and it would be good and something different. And I came across tamales. And so I learned to make tamales. And then I just did kind of like a Hawaiian spin on it. I had like cinnamon mango tamales and then Kahlua pork tamales and just kind of, and I do love to cook. So it was fun to be experimenting. And it just became to honestly, and this is the other piece for me of I think why businesses have worked. I I was really sad at the time and I felt a little broken. Mm. And it was a way to build something that I could see grow. And in turn, it was like a therapy for me to move past that season of my life. Yeah. And so I had the energy because otherwise I just would have been sad. And so I had that pouring into it. So it just was like that constant drive of somewhere to put my mind and my energy in order to move past what had happened. Um, and it was the same thing with my business before. I'd said my cousin had introduced me to it. My cousin had passed away in that time. Mm-hmm. And out of like just being really sad and grieving, it had also just kind of fueled that energy to build a business. And now I know that that's me. Like when something is feeling off, my best way to move forward is to be creative. Mm -hmm. However that creativity looks, that's how I use that energy. So with the tamales, I started doing that and I would set up, um, you know, like they have farmer mar- farmers markets, yeah. and so I started setting up at farmers markets, and it it wasn't what I thought I was going to do to make like a million dollars or anything like that. You know, I had my main business, which is what paid for my lifestyle and all that. This was just like a fun new hobby, but it was also exposing myself to all these new people I was meeting in Hawaii. I was building a community. It was just all fitting my need. Yeah. And then I was able to share something I really enjoyed. Um, So I did that for a while. And then I ended up selling it to a gentleman, him and his wife had moved and they had had hot dog carts in Northern California. And they were looking to do something that was Hawaiian and it just ended up being a fit. And I ended up, that ended up going to them. So I ended up selling it to him. I, I love that. I love that you brought up the part of being able to kind of pour into it while going through something mm-hmm. difficult. You can have something that was a rough season, but that rough season can be intertwined with success, Mm -hmm. whatever success looks like for you. I don't just mean monetary, like just those wins. And so I think it's really important that when you are going through a hard season to find where you can 
where you can have a win. And maybe that means like, oh, I, I got really good at soccer. I started playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't get good at soccer. I'm horrible. But like, whatever that is for <laughs> yeah. you, like, oh, I took up a new language or I started doing this, you know, um, or I joined an audiobook club and I read, you know, audiobook club and I read and I 16 books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I do, I just think, you know, and that's, that's my DNA. That's my makeup. I know that when I have something that's like trying a distraction where creativity is mm-hmm. where I will thrive. And I think it also helps whatever you're building, have that extra, like that, that secret sauce. Mm-hmm. When people say, well, what's the secret sauce? Well, part of it is just like, it's you. It's something from you that you're pouring in. And so I think that when you have something you're working through, there's there's that that's going into what you're building. And that's what kind of drives that extra energy or why am I going to stay up and write this last blog post? Because this is mine and I'm doing it. And I just, you have this extra drive. And that mm-hmm. might just be something that's in the entrepreneur spirit. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I I really appreciate like you kind of bringing in all those things because I think there there is so much to being an entrepreneur. And like you said, this wasn't your million dollar idea per se. It and it didn't really need to be to mm-hmm. do what it needed to do. Yeah, like, it fulfilled the purpose I needed. Yeah. And that was like my first introduction into like kind of like the food world. I was like, oh, that's fun. And then I ended up like with another little coffee business. I just feel like I've learned you kind of like learn different skill sets. Mm-hmm. And each of those little businesses, I had kind of grown to the next level and I was able to expand. And then you're also able to do things a little more quickly and you know what worked on something. So then you can try it again here. And again, I always had that. I had my painting business that supplied the financial support mm-hmm. um, for my lifestyle, but also the financial support to put money into it to start other businesses. Right. You know, so it gave me a really good... um like platform to bounce off of on all of these and, you know, to try something new. So you just never know as you kind of expand to this, how it's going to unfold for the next phase. And the next phase took me to the coffee business, but ultimately it took me to where I ended up meeting my husband, you know, which then ended up to where we're at now with the businesses with him. So you just don't know how it's going to turn out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned some things not working out and some business ideas not going anywhere. Is there any that you are willing to share with us as an example? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had plenty. Like, I think that when you start different businesses, especially at such a young age, and I'm, I'm grateful for that because time is such a gift. Mm -hmm. So I had time to make mistakes. And then I also had my main business that was always there to float the mistakes. Yeah. Um, so time is a huge asset. And yeah. um, so thankfully, like the ones that didn't work always out. And, you know, when you want to ask like what worked and what didn't work, it might be like, oh, well, this was successful because I sold it and I made money. Right. So that might be in the sense, oh, that worked. But also, right. you know, it can work, meaning that you learn you just learned something new. Right. But one that I, okay, so I had a spray tanning business, you know, because it was kind of during that time when everyone, at least when I was in high school, everyone went to tanning beds. Right. Which we now know is just a disaster and really oh. bad for your skin. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. Um, And so it was like kind of coming up and the thing was spray tans. And I had a girlfriend that had an esthetician business and she was doing both and was like, I just can't do both because I'm busy with my esthetician business. But you're so personable. You'd be great at this. 
She's like, let me show you. And she did my tan, which looked great because she was a professional, knew what she was doing. Uh And then so I was like, okay, I'm like, I could try this. So I kind of practiced all this. So I ended up turning um, like this studio into a spray tanning studio, you know, like with drop cloths and because – uh, when you don't know what you're doing very well, like it's everywhere. Um, and so I started doing like these spray tans and, you know, chatting with people kind of successful, you know, in the sense of like having people come in. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I'm not good at it. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to train someone to do this. And even though she's taken the time to do this and I'm watching all these videos, I was like, this is a disaster. Yeah. But I built a list. I built a client list. And that was the first time I'd been exposed to that kind of thing. And that's very valuable for so many businesses where they call it email list or whatever. When you have a client list and um, I happened to run across somebody else in conversation, I think it was like at a sunset happy hour or something. And she was interested in starting a spray tan business and she had been doing it before. So it was just like all the things connected. And I just ended up, I did not make any money on that. It was just like a break even, just paid for what I paid for. But I was able to sell her like the contact mm-hmm. list, the equipment, and, you know, like a year's worth of uh, spray tans. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love, love, love that you brought that up because that. It's a it's a failure that actually is still a success. But it also goes to your point before of like thinking about things a little bit more on a bigger picture versus being so in your business that you can't work on it. Yeah. Because by building a client list and knowing who you had serviced, yes, email me, blah, 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 whatever, you had value in the business because she could have just been like, I can go buy this equipment on my own. It's brand new. I can buy the own the tanning solution, whatever it is. I can just do it myself. Like, I don't need your dirty drop cloth. Like, yeah. I can. <laughs> but, like, what is this? But you had that value. And because of your personality and who you are, I'm sure you had a great rapport with all those clients. So when you were handing it off, there was a trust there of this other person's going to be calling you and reaching out. Go respond to it. Go with them. Yeah. It, and it was also a good reminder for me of where your time lays mm-hmm. that if i was passionate about that business my time invested in it would have grown the business and would have grown more my skill set and all of that and i could have been a very happy spray tanner but that's not really where my passion was i still really enjoyed my other business i loved painting mm-hmm. and so in the end i mean that's why i had that business for 15 years in what i loved always over like came everything else because it was really something I enjoyed doing. So I think that's the other aspect of even when you're, none of those can be failures because they really can help lead you to a more clear picture of what you're passionate Mm -hmm. about. And if you pour the time into what you're passionate about, you're nine out of 10 times you're going to succeed. And I think that that's the case with all those other, they were kind of fun distractions. They were kind of new ways for me to exercise something different and and maybe I just am a creative person, so I need other creative outlets to like yeah. get those bursts. Um, but they always led me back to what I was really passionate about, which was sales and painting. Mm-hmm. Currently, you are owner and operator of Island Power Yoga. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's back up on that just a little bit. So what got you into yoga? Where did you first encounter mm-hmm. a yoga practice? So 
My first experience with yoga was at an Ashtanga studio in Laguna Beach, and I was a nanny at the time, and i that's how I put myself through school, was um, an, a nanny, and it was like my first kind of experience into like more of a fitness thing, and it was the only time slot that I could make <laughs> with being a nanny for the kids because I had to get up early to w- work with them and after school. So I just was like... I needed to start yoga. I've heard all these great things. So I went into an Ashtanga class. And if you don't know what Ashtanga is, it was definitely not a beginner's experience. (laughs) But I really liked it. And I kept coming back for more. So that was my first experience of yoga. And it definitely was something that I connected. I was like, Mm -hmm. I like this. So that's kind of where it began. And then fast forwarding, I decided that I had been practicing enough that I really wanted to understand more of what I was spending my time doing. And so during that breakup of the canceled wedding, I decided to just dive into a teacher training Mm -hmm. in order to have my mind elsewhere. Um, But in that, I also just discovered like an inner peace and started to find just more value in now I understand is meditation and now I understand is connecting with one's higher self. And so it began there and I did my first, my first teacher training. I did part in California and part in Hawaii. I was able to switch both locations because I still had my business in California. I was basically flying every other week to California to meet clients. And then one week in Hawaii, one week in California. And I did that for probably four years. In the last three years, I did it every month. So I just had that. And then I taught at Core Power Yoga um, in Hawaii and on Oahu. And I did that probably for four or five, five years, I'd say at um, Core Power. And I loved it. And that's where I really met like a yoga community and just loved it. My husband and I met, I moved to the North Shore which was an hour and a half basically from the yoga studio. And I really, really missed it. Mm. And so um, I started teaching yoga sculpt at Turtle Bay, which was on the North Shore of Oahu, because like there's already all these yoga teachers doing yoga. And there wasn't um, like a spot for me to teach that um, style. So I brought what they didn't have there. Mm. And then I ended up leading a teacher training doing that. And I was able to serve the community. I once again saw a need within the community, something lacking, and I was able to fill that. And it, then again, it just built community for me and it made uh, connections. And um, it also, you know, allowed me to see value in my own writing and and taking what I'd been doing for, you know, 10 years and five years of like professional yoga, being able to put that into a training and then regurgitate that to teach someone else, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it when you're able to teach somebody else and then they can successfully execute. Yeah. And so I did that. And then my husband and I while living on the North Shore of Oahu, started an art gallery on Maui, and we were going back and forth. And then when we moved all the way to Maui and transitioned there, I started looking for a yoga studio, and I just didn't find that style and, like, my community I was looking for. And it was okay. That was fine. We just had a baby. It wasn't, it wasn't like, in the top of my books to be teaching, but it would have been nice. Um, but then fast forward, you know, through COVID and other things, we finally got to this point where I just really missed that. And my husband basically was tired of hearing me complain that I didn't have that. He finally was like, let's just open a studio and 
then you can stop talking about this yeah. <laughs> every day that you don't have this and let's just create it. And thankfully I had two partners that were like on board with this mission, like three musketeers. And they also had taught from core power. And they also had one of them um, worked with me in my painting business and worked oh. with my husband and I in our gallery and just like, she's the best, absolutely mm-hmm. love her. And then another friend that came from Core Power that we were like, we're on Maui now. Come on over. We've got work for you. You can work, your husband can work with my husband. Like, come over. And this was all just like right in during COVID. And so they came over and then it just started. We started um, building out a studio. We looked for a location, mm-hmm. bought a location, and then um, all the things that just like started. So we did just hire a manager. So I don't want to say I'm like the operator anymore because <laughs> um, we have our lovely Lori who's now managing the studio. But I'm very hands-on and I still am running a lot of it. It's, you know, just turned a year old. So it'll be a while before I probably step away from that sure. aspect. Um, but I love it. You brought up community. And I actually had that to talk to you about and how intentional that was because your messaging really is about building a community and you've done a really good job with that. And being someone who's attended classes there and seen the community that you've created and the friendships that have come from that yeah. and the like relationships that have been built, it's it's really unique because I've been to a lot of places, uh, you know, we, we travel a lot. So we we usually aren't committing to a yoga studio. And so there's a lot of times that I don't talk to anybody when I go do a yoga class somewhere because nobody really, like they ask you your name to check in, but then maybe nobody in class is talking. They're just coming in, doing it. But here it's like people are saving spots for each other and they're like (laughs) taking each other in posts. And so you really have built a community. Yeah. I feel really honored about that. And I feel like it's so special. And, you know, I had a great example set for me. Um, Core Power Yoga does a really, or at least when I worked there, does a really good job of building community. And so I had a taste of something that I liked Mm -hmm. and I knew that that was important. I didn't feel that super solid connection to Hawaii. Like if you don't know, if you're listening and you don't live in Hawaii, it can be a very lonely place and Mm -hmm. it can, it's beautiful and it's like a place to heal, but it's also really hard because people are transient here. Um, on Oahu, you have a lot of military, so people are only there for four years. So you might make friends, but they, they rotate. And then the same thing, Hawaii is not an easy place to make a living Mm -hmm. and people come here to heal or escape something and then they leave. And so with that, it becomes hard to build a community with people that don't stay. And in my experience at Core Power, the friends I'm still friends with are people I met at Core Power Yoga. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a handful that weren't, aren't, right, Um, from that group. And so when we moved here to Maui and we didn't have a community and we literally moved here and like within six months, COVID happened and we were all locked in. And so it was just a very you know, isolated time that everyone experienced. And so then also coming out of that and like being like, well, you know, we're not even having like dinner with people to meet people. It's just nothing. And so this was a way that I knew worked for me. And I felt like I was in my safe space that yoga works. In addition to that, I felt like in general, the community was sad and broken. Mm. We'd all been through a lot of trauma over the last, you know, now four years, but in that time, like it was just very traumatic and people were hurting and sad and scared, just like a lot of negative energy. 
And yoga has been known for so many health benefits, such as easing depression and anxiety, um, flexibility and asana, physical practice, moving the heart rate up, bringing oxygen. And so all these positives. And in addition to just knowing the positive effects of yoga, like we've just had something really negative, we can bring something positive. It's something that I love and enjoy. And this community needs it, you know, so it just felt like the right fit. And with that, so before we opened the studio, we gifted the Wailea Kihei community itself with an sunset yoga every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. So Katie is that special person I was talking about. So Katie and I taught that for like 18 months, um, mm. six months prior to the studio opening, just her and I like constantly doing that and um, just meeting the community. So instead of just being someone from the mainland coming down, kicking down another door and being like, oh, here we are, we're opening a business and just – I don't mean it in a bad way, but that's just what happens. People come yep. to Hawaii, and I did it too when I first came here. I'm going to open up a you know, taco cart, but like open something and keep it here in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Keep employing people here. Let the funds come in and let it like nourish what we're around. Yep. And so instead of just being another business, opening up in Wailea that caters only to tourists – like, that's not what we want. That's not what we want to do. Tourists are welcome to come in, but we're here to serve this community. So it was a way for us to introduce ourselves and share what we're good at. And if you like it, great. We're going to open a studio. <laughs> come join us. And it was amazing because we had 25 people buy a membership before the studio doors ever opened, before they even knew the location of the studio. They trusted us. Mm. And that said so much. We built trust. And when you build trust, you're building those relationships. And that's like when I really feel like that start of the community occurred. And so when we opened the doors, we had already that set of people. And we did open the doors in the middle of COVID. Vaccines were required. Masks were required. There's still so much there. But we could see the threads of like, this is a community and people want this. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like it kind of like fuels the fire. Yeah. So you're like, we're waiting. We're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is all about local economies and community and, and building that up and inspiring it. And what you mentioned about being able to gift the community yoga classes until you were opened is I'm so passionate about that idea because you're right. It is so easy for someone to come here to Hawaii and be like, oh, I've been really successful in California, wherever I'm coming from. I'm going to go to Hawaii and do the same thing because there's so many tourists and I'm going to make money off that. And and that's where like all the problems with fake culture or appropriation start to come in. And it's so easy for people to to do that mm-hmm. and then give back after the fact mm-hmm. or sort of wake up to where they are after the fact. But the, the something of that core is still like lost, like the integrity, like something there is just not as strong. And to have somebody come in and authentically be like, we're doing this specifically to build community selfishly because you I want community I want community (laughs) I miss it I want it but if I want it I have to create it versus I want it I'm entitled to it someone give me what I want like you came in and said I want community I'm gonna have to create it I'm gonna have to create the right way yeah and I was in a different season of my life as well so I was we had just had a, a baby so I was also just in this 
new realm of identifying myself as Chieko. Chieko's a wife and Chieko has a baby. So I'm also a mom. And I was just having a hard time juggling. And I think anyone that's like a new parent or, you know, maybe you have six kids, learning how to juggle um, your family time and then also finding the thing that makes you feel like you. And for me, the thing that made me feel like me was either painting cars, which is not what I was doing because I'd sold that business at that time. I sold it right before COVID. It was either painting cars or it was yoga. And so mm-hmm. for me also, it was me being able to reconnect with who I who I really identify myself as. I'm so happy being a mom. I'm so happy being a wife, but that's not all I am. Mm-hmm. And that's not all I want to be. I want to continue to grow this person, this soul that I, I've been given here. So wanted to find people I connected with, you know, and I think they say like water seeks its own level. And so it's like finding Mm. those same people. It doesn't need to be necessarily moms, but just that group. And we gifted the community for those six months prior to opening, but it was such a successful and positive experience overall that we've actually continued to do it. So we still have that Wednesday community class. It's 5.30 p.m. It's at the shops at Wailea. We've now partnered with Lululemon. Um, and we just have this every Wednesday. Now, I, Katie and I aren't the only ones that teach it. We have a rotating um, list of teachers, which is awesome too, because it's an opportunity for us to lift up these other women or men, but other women that are in the yoga community, specifically at our studio, they have the opportunity to meet the community, to meet other students students. And it also makes yoga accessible. Yoga has become something that is not accessible to everybody. It's become very westernized. And we are a western studio. Like we play Mm -hmm. very non-yoga music Mm -hmm. and all those things. But at the same time, it's a healing gift and that can be gifted to everybody. So it is our way to make yoga accessible for everybody. And if you don't want to practice in a studio for whatever reason, it's a nice way to be outside and practice. If you don't have the finances, it's a way that you know every week you can still come in and there's no expectation. It's not a donation. There's no expectation on our behalf except for you just come with a body. And if your body just lays there, that's fine too. But if you want to move, Mm -hmm. that's invited. So I think that that's really important too because – as we watch yoga develop in different aspects from being sexualized, from, you know, being only a certain way we teach it on this side versus an Eastern way. Um, There's just different aspects of it now. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a way that we can at least um, remove that wall of inaccessibility, just making it there and available. I want to ask you about the community at your yoga studio or anywhere that you would maybe replicate this about negative or how do I want to phrase this dangerous aspects that could come into that community. And what I mean by that is, and, and I used to work in the fitness industry. So I worked in gyms, everything from front desk to eventually work my way up to um, COO. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been there for eight years and seen I mean, I think between the six facilities at one point, we probably had over 30,000 members. Yeah. So a lot of people and saw a lot of people and asked a lot of people to not come back for various reasons, right? Things that happened in locker rooms, things that were set on the floor, but also had to have 
or work through conversations with people of maybe what you're doing is not good for you, Mm -hmm. but finding ways to have those conversations because that's not really my job, right? My job is to run a gym. So there's a lot of different things that can come in, right? And, And the gym's even more I guess amplified because there's a lot of other things happening in there, right? Like there there was yoga classes, but there's also tons of weights and there's yeah. people doing steroids and there's a lot of not good habits happening there anyways. But when you have more of a, a small community and maybe you have somebody that comes in that's very aggressive or you have somebody that I you know, there's all kinds of things, right, that are good and bad when it comes to fitness or or dieting or whatever it yeah. may be. I would wonder if I had if I had a studio or if I had my worked in a gym again, if I would have had some different conversations or I would have maybe done some things differently mm-hmm. looking back on it. How would you approach those types of things if you had to deal with them in this, your studio or are you more of like this is a community come as you are? Is there a responsibility there or mm-hmm. and I don't mean to say or are you just a business owner? that does the best you can in the rest is an individual's. Um, so I think this goes back to like from the very beginning of our conversation um, about knowing where you want to go and where you want to go with your business. Mm-hmm. And so I guess with that would be like understanding your core values. Mm-hmm. And with that in this studio, if you look on our website and the way I describe it is that when I'm people walk through, I want them to feel like they've arrived home. Like when you finish a class to feel like, like when you walk home, you get to shed all the things from the day off. You get to just be you, authentically you. And within your home, you have relationships. So that is a core value in the studio. Um, there's not the act. So there's not this display, which I think you see in gyms and we see on Instagram all the time, like these videos of people doing these crazy workouts, you're performing, right? right? So when you come home, you don't perform, you're just you. So when you come into this studio, whether people realize it or not, whether the staff completely understands this or not, we're creating a space for people to shed Mm. the stuff that's happening outside, the thing that you feel like you maybe have to be wearing, to let go. So we integrate that into the studio. So with that and knowing that when we have encountered over-exercise, which is a big one in yoga, in fitness industry in general, and how I mentioned yoga has become sexualized in the sense of also people using it as a technique or a way to lose weight because I need to lose weight in order to feel better. That's not a true statement, Mm -hmm. right? And so we encounter over-exercise. When you have a conversation that's touchy like that, it's going to be so much more uh, well-received coming from somebody you have a relationship with, right? And Mm -hmm. coming from somebody that you know cares. So we're very aware of it in the studio, and it might be a while before we touch on it in those exact words with somebody, but what we're going to do in the meantime is really speak truth in those moments that we have. In that 60 minutes, students only hear the instructor's voice. So it is so important that what the instructor's saying is powerful and truthful. Mm. Love yourself. Feel what your physical body's like right now and be grateful for it. Starting to speak those words that ring true and have more power because the outside world is being silenced 
So there's more power in what is happening in that moment. Also, we're encouraging breath and body awareness and connection. So how much more powerful speaking words that can lift somebody up might be the thing they need to hear with that meditative breath, with that movement. So when we have those conversations, typically um, as instructors, you've had those students in multiple classes. Instructors are very aware of it. And we do have a conversation and how we're going to approach that. We also have resources. Um, I do feel like our studio has been placed in Maui with purpose. Maui has opened itself up to us. And if you understand Hawaii and the islands, you either it either receives you or it spits you out kind of thing. Yeah, and we say so, that all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it has been so generous and it received us. And with that, it really is bringing the appropriate instructors in as well as the appropriate students. Mm. And so we have um, we have actually like an amazing instructor who her background is eating disorders and over over exercise. So we have somebody that has like a professional way to also engage. Mm -hmm. But again, the bottom line is it comes down to relationships and we build those relationships before we touch on those, those kinds of conversations, because a person could very easily be offended or hurt or like, oh, now, you know, my secret. And then they just disappear. They leave Mm -hmm. and they're just going to do it somewhere else. So we'd rather you be somewhere where you're, you're safe Mm-hmm. You don't need to perform. You don't need to be, just be who you are right now in this moment. And then um, we hopefully can give you tools and, or at least the encouragement to um, be authentic then to yourself to at some point realize like what you're doing. And on those same lines, like what I said about performing, we have a rule in our studio. Um, there's no cameras in the studio in the sense you can't videotape yourself Um working out. We have specific events where we will have people sign waivers because there's going to be a photo shoot during that time. But in general, that space is meant to be a sacred space for you to be able to let go and release. If you need to cry, you can cry. If you need to just be crazy, you can be crazy and move and whatever you need, right? And so we specifically make sure there's no cameras because that's just such an everyday thing now for Mm -hmm. all of us. We're like always like videotaping and what's happening right now. But when you do that, you're not really in what's happening. You're worried about performing. Mm -hmm. So um, that's like another way that we address that specific issue, which is just maybe that won't be something we have in 10 years. But right now in this day and age, everyone is on Instagram. Everyone is videotaping themselves for what? To post something to get a number of likes in order to have affirmation. And we are here to help you affirm yourself that you are actually enough just as you are. Mm. Um, So I think those are like the two biggest pieces I see in the studio. And then like lastly, to close on that is clicks. I feel like in gym experience that I've had, it can already be really intimidating for people to come into a physical arena, especially if they've never done anything. It's already so much for them just to get there. And then you see like people that are doing handstands or lifting Mm -hmm. huge, crazy weights. Like it's just super intimidating. And so with that, oftentimes comes clicks. If people are always coming to the same thing, they just... I think humans do that. We just connect, right? And that's great. But in our studio, I have not encountered clicks. Mm -mm. And we work really hard at engaging everybody and knowing everyone's name. Like, I see you. Like, so Avatar, I see you, you know? like, (laughs) And we really work hard on that because we don't want to click. Because the moment you have that, it's like walls go up. And there's expectation and there's – you know, like a performance. Yeah. So I think those are the three that like come to mind with that question. I 
the relationship piece, I think, is what I love that you hit on because that's what's lacking in our culture, right? Like we're disconnected from so many relationships with each other because we are on our phones, because we are (laughs) posting a picture of ourselves while someone's trying to talk to us. And so now we're not building that relationship. Mm -hmm. And a big reason of me starting this podcast when it comes to local economies and in local communities is we don't have those relationships like we used to, like with the person who makes our bread or butchers our meat or grows our food. And so when those relationships get lost, then we lose the relationship to those things, to our food, to our exercise, to whatever it may be, until we are just like in our homes feeling it's like us against the world. Yeah. And then that perpetuates the the, the negative things that we're already doing or thinking about ourselves. So that relationship piece is just so, so huge. And it doesn't have to be – I think sometimes we take the word relationship – And we just automatically like reply it to either like a friend, like a a best friendship or a a romantic relationship. And we just put those like expectations on it. And relationship can just be, I see you at my yoga studio Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that you're showing up and work so hard because it motivates me to work hard. And maybe that's all the relationship is. And we never even go get coffee. That's still relationship. Absolutely. Well, and what I love in this aspect too is we're, I mean, we're still small little town here. So you're likely going to run into this person again. Um, and it's great to like see people in their yoga uniform mm-hmm. and then you see them out in the day. You're like, oh, hi. Like, right. And you're like, oh, okay. I just didn't recognize you. You're in, you know, camo. Yeah. I just didn't expect that. But it also, what I see happen in the studio, which is part of what I wanted and I love is that oh, I'm looking for a massage therapist. Do you get, Do you have anyone you recommend? And it's like, we, yeah, we actually do. We have like four massage therapists that come to our studio and then they mm. make that connection. Um, we have a photographer, Scott, who's great with family photos and he's done stuff for us. And then we have another photographer. She does these beautiful, Samantha, she does these beautiful wedding pictures. And it's really cool because you just start to have like a larger group of people in your little quiver of cards that you get to hand out because everyone likes helping each other and everyone loves having, I'm looking for a family photographer. I love being able to say, oh, I have somebody I can recommend. And in this like crazy little yoga studio, we have all these different little gift sets, you know, of, Mm -hmm. oh, this person does all these Google analytics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really neat because you also see the students connecting and sharing and growing. A lot of them have their own businesses is what I've also, you know, come to learn. And um, it's really cool because you're seeing that we had a couple challenges going on in our studio and they were really, really successful. Everyone had a great time. It was like 30 classes in 30 days. Well, a group of the students just had so much fun that they were like, you know, I don't even think we'll wait for the next challenge. We'll just start our own on our own. And it was like four people that didn't know each other before coming to the studio, but then have practiced together, spent enough time together. And now they feel comfortable, you know, like we're going to gamble on yoga. Who's yeah. who's going to take the most classes? I just thought that was so funny, but also I made my heart really warm because I was like, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like getting to know each other, like, oh, let's go, let's go grab a taco. You know, let's just take class. What does the future of Island Power Yoga look like? (sighs) (laughs) So many things. Um, We are a power studio, so we teach a lot of physical classes. 
I would love to see more of the softer side of yoga mm-hmm. come to fruition. We have the physical classes because that's what brings people in and we all need a, a workout, but also there's so much ease in the soul when it learns to be at ease within its own skin. Mm. And I feel like that comes with a little bit softer side of yoga with a little bit of the meditation, um, with even our yin and restorative classes. We just had a, a workshop with Reiki and restorative and just starting to introduce people to that softer side that it is really about a balance. Um, and it's so good to work out and work really hard, but it's also really good to be quiet. We're in such a noise-filled society mm-hmm. that the quiet is extra important. And so I definitely see more of that for Island Power Yoga. Um, I also have some very interactive art and yoga experiences on the books. Okay. So um, just can't stay away from that. Um, So yeah, we have uh, other types of experiences that we just really want to bring in like the visual senses and how that can also connect you into your practice in such a different way. It's like when you see a really beautiful art piece on a piece of picture, like paper, you're like, okay. But then when you see it in real life, you're like, wow. And like the senses are overwhelmed. And you can do the same thing with uh, experiencing that visual as well as like with the physical asanas. And when you can connect that, it's just very powerful. So um, you're going to see some of those fun activations and something that we have been working on the last year. We've only been open a year, but we have um, targeted different areas in the community that we want to support with financially. So we um, fundraise for breast cancer awareness in October. We had a toy drive for um, Children's of the Justice Center here in Maui, which was um, at Christmas time. So that mm-hmm. was to the overall goal was 3000 gifts to families here in Maui County. And we were just like a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Lemon has been like really a wonderful asset in helping us connect for all these kinds of activations for the community. And so you're going to see a lot more of that as well um, with us being able to take the platform we have and be able just to share and bring awareness to different areas in our community, especially even with the Hawaiian culture as well, like just mm-hmm. how we can support just different areas in order to bring more awareness and, and yoga. I'm excited to yeah. see everything that, <laughs> that you guys... And You'll see it on the board. <laughs> that's so That's so much in it, like in a year. I mean, you've grown yeah. so much in such a short amount of time. I mean, that's really remarkable. When an island opens up to you and is gen- Maui has been generous to us mm-hmm. and we see that, you know, it's um, and we're grateful for it. If you could sit down with anybody and have a conversation like we had today, oh, yeah. who would you and they can be living or dead? Who would you like to sit down and have a conversation with? I would love to sit down with J.K. Rowling mm. and I would love to just talk all about how amazing Harry Potter is. And, you know, like we didn't even have iPhones that had, you know, the pictures, the live action photos. Like, how'd you just think of that in the magical world to have photos that move? Uh Also, why did you kill Fred? (laughs) Like, you know, there's so many questions I have. Yeah, I would love to sit with her. I okay so okay <laughs> listeners were about, you say also where do you see Island Power Yoga going we're gonna have a Harry Potter book club okay. and movie night so that is also on there okay so we're gonna go down a J.K. Rowling rabbit hole for oh a second oh my god I'm I, so in okay so I have some confessions and then 
Okay. I have, I, I don't want to upset you. <laughs> don't leave. <laughs> I have never read Harry Potter, any of it. And I am a very big reader. And it, I'll get to that in a second. But, and I've, uh, when I was stuck for Hurricane Irma staying at someone's house, we watched Harry Potter movies until the power went out. So I think I only maybe got through the first one and part of the second one. And okay. then we lost power. So that's as far as I've gotten on the movies. But she has just recently become a polarized, polarizing figure because of her stand, her comments on some of the transgender issues with young kids transitioning. We don't need to get into all of that, but that's what got me interested in finding out about this woman because I, all I knew was that she wrote Harry Potter. They're very successful, so clearly she's brilliant. Like people are in love with it. I happen to have an owl tattooed on my arm, and people ask me all the time if it's from Harry Potter, right? and I'm like. No. I'm like, no, get away from me. <laughs> so, and I was like, I wish I would have read Harry Potter because I would have maybe gotten a different owl, but. Um, Hedwig is great. You made a great choice. Okay. <laughs> but I am now, there is now a podcast out called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, where um, the woman who left the Westboro Baptist Church, which is a super controversial, awful church. <laughs> not sorry if you're in that church it's terrible <laughs> but she left that church she's now a journalist and she has this i think it's going to be a 10-part series talking to jk Rowling. so i'm listening to it because i'm fascinated to learn about this woman and so i'm finally hearing her voice finally learning about her and i'm like damn this woman's really incredible I'm learning so much. And, and and like I said, we don't need to go to, down the rabbit hole of what she believes or whatever. She created this really great thing. I, I do, like, just full disclosure, agree with a lot of the stuff that she's saying. That's just <laughs> being a responsible adult. Um, but, I, yeah, she's a very incredible person. I'm learning so much. And this is the first time I've heard her voice. This is the first time I'm <laughs> learning about everything she put into Harry Potter and why. And I didn't know any of it until I was 36 years old. And that's how old you are. Yeah, yeah. you're like, wow, that just happened. Um, First of all, I'm just going to say I am sorry, but I'm also so excited for you. You have so much to look forward to okay. in reading these books. It's like I've read them so many times and listened to them so many times. And I, I just literally finished listening to book one audiobook. Okay. Um, probably for the 15th time last night um, <laughs> while I was cooking dinner. Like it's kind of like – you know how stressed out I am based on how much chocolate I'm eating and how, how many episodes into Harry Potter I am, Okay, right? So that's like yeah. the world of Chieko. On a superficial level, Harry Potter is this, like I just said, when I'm really stressed out, it is the place I escape to. She built, She's built this just incredible, magical world that you can visualize and that I would love to go to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Like, who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's all these things and elements on a superficial level. She's genius and has just built this place yeah. as an escape. And I use that in this real life. Also with that, having read the books so many times and having listened to the books, I also completely agree. There's certain areas where I'm like, why is she giving, you know, Hermione such this gender role of having to caretake the boys? Like, she's so smart. She doesn't need to be solving their problems. And there's a lot of very traditional 
style in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, when first time read, you probably you're not going to read that, and you're not going right. to. But now that I'm like literally like 15, 30 times in, um, you notice these things, yeah. and you know, it does make you wonder. Like, well, you've had so much power, and you had the ability. Why would you write it like that? She's already written it. This mm-hmm. is, you know, how yeah. it's going to be. But at the same time with that, I think it offers authentic discussion to talk about harder things mm-hmm. without telling one side you're right, one side you're wrong. We all love Harry Potter. So now let's talk about this really hard subject in terms of these characters and what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, because really, if you read the first book, and do, Harry is subject to child abuse. He's with a family that doesn't love him, hates him. He lives under the stairs. And the first time you read it, watch it, it's like, just funny. You're just going. But then as an adult and having now a child, I'm like, this is straight up child abuse. And he probably was abused. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't look at that when you read the books the first time or you you watch a movie. But it also allows discussion about a really hard subject in a way that is softer. Mm-hmm. And that is what I find in the Harry Potter series as well. Um, and I was sharing with you the sacred text of Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, that has a whole lot of discussion. Also, just with even how you were saying the transgender, there's a lot of discussion from from all aspects, their guests, right, with different perspectives that is just really enlightening because I wouldn't have thought about it in that way until hearing that guest speak about it and just like, oh, wow, that just blew my mind. I never would have considered that. So um, not everything is correct. Yeah. But, you know, you have to take things for what they are and then also how it applies to you. You know, I'm not going to say everything she did is correct, but. Yeah, no, I I just, so I guess a comparison for me is I never read Harry Potter but I have probably read the Chronicles of Narnia a million times yes. and watched the movies and like that's my that's my Harry Potter, right? That's also because I was raised in a very Christian home mm-hmm. where when I was growing up, Harry Potter was of the devil. Yes. And <laughs> the Chronicles of Narnia are written by C.S. Lewis, who is a Christian apologist. Yes. So it's there's that with it too, which is Harry Potter has been such this cultural like touch point for so much of the culture wars in, and really was like this bandwagon for evangelical Christians to jump on, to make everything a very social issue, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's your podcast, so it can be your opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, And again, like I love what you said about Everybody can be a Harry Potter fan and come at things from a different angle. And again, that's where that building that relationship thing comes from. Because what I, I was actually, it's so, I love how, again, this is a Maui thing where <laughs> things just synchronize. I was actually listening to the newest episode of that podcast today. And J.K. Rowling was saying she had never, like, the she was writing this book for so long and the internet was really coming alongside it, right? So she didn't realize till she went on and like, you know, searched it, how much fan fiction in the world of Harry Potter that was online Mm -hmm. and started to like immerse herself in that and was like, oh, wow, there's like, this is a whole culture built around something that I wrote. And she's talking about like going into some of these, like forming relationships with some of these fans or going into some of these chat rooms as 
not herself. Yeah. And just like kind of peeking in on this other Harry Potter world that has branched off of what she created. But again, it's all about relationship and like her relationships that were bad that influenced what she wrote, like her relationship to herself, to her family, and now to her fans. It's just, it's, it is, can be very inclusive in such a great way to have conversations without getting mad about disagreeing. Like, and you know, I think this also goes to, you know, sometimes blue just means blue. <laughs> yeah. There yes. wasn't anything behind yes. it. Cause you know, when I'm listening to that sacred text, and sometimes we're meeting and we're talking about this. Sometimes I, I wonder myself, or did she just make it like this because mm-hmm. that was what she was doing when she was writing? Like, did she really put all these layers of thoughts into it? She could have because she is a genius. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but at the same time, blue can also mean blue. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes when you really believe something so strongly, you automatically assume and see it in all things. Mm-hmm. And... In that case, like, you kind of miss the balance, right? And yeah. so it's like sometimes it is just exactly what it is. And sometimes it's not, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, again, it's identifying, like, what fits for you. It's something we say in the studio all the time. Yeah. If this resonates, great. And if it doesn't, don't take it. You know, it's um, just what is fitting for you in this season of your life. And, you know, some of the books I've loved more than others, but also Mm -hmm. just because it fit for me at that time. Yeah. You know, and, you know, she might have just killed Fred because she's like, I just want one of the twins to die to create, you know, sadness that it's like the peak of this chapter. So Fred's going. It might not have been anything else intentional. It might have been anything. You might have just been like, I have to choose one of them. Um, You know, I have my other thoughts on it, but (laughs) I'm I'm such a big fan of imagination. And I was on this podcast hearing her. She was giving a, I think it was a commencement speech. I'm not sure. But she was talking about imagination and how we all need it and how Mm -hmm. it needs to be more important in our life, which I'm also a huge fan of Dolly Parton, who has Imagination Library, which is a book-giving organization. I'm a fan of C.S. Lewis, who talks a lot about imagination and reason. And so that word imagination, like, comes into my life a lot. Yeah. And so even if, like you're saying, even if the Harry Potter books, C.S. Lewis, whatever, is just all pure imagination, there's such a great escape in that and such a great message of, like, yeah, we grow up, but like, let's not forget where we came from and let's not forget how great it is to use our imagination and be a kid and feel those joys of what's around the next corner, what's on the next page. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I have a toddler, Duke Mm -hmm. is four, and he is in imagination play now. We're like, we are in imagination play deep. Mm -hmm. But so much of what I've read has talked about how important it is for kids to use their imagination because it's part of problem solving and it's part of stimulating creativity. And I really do believe all of us are creative. Mm -hmm. Um, We teach art classes in our uh, art gallery, right? And so we have a lot of times people say, oh, I'm just not creative. I'm not artistic. And I always correct, we are all creative. It's just learning how to harness that skill set and just tapping into it regularly. And one way you do that is through imagination. You know, even when you're cooking, it's just, I'm going to try this, you know, basil instead of this. It's, you can find creativity in all this. And really, it's it's exposing yourself. It's that imagination play. It's just mm-hmm. um, being open to it. And really, like, we all live such 
stressful lives at times. Yeah. You know, um, we're a drop of sand in like the look of the universe, but it's important to us in these moments. And so all of us need an escape, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to have that place that you can escape, um, there's a lot of value in that and happiness. Yeah. And just the creativity that comes from like from that imagination, if you can, like you said, because we are living stressful lives and we're inundated with our phones and cell phones and emails and whatever it might be and just things and stuff. Imagination, whether you're jumping into a fictional movie or a fictional book, takes you out of all of that and puts mm. you in a different place for however long you decide to be in that world. And then you come out and there is that creativity. I, that's what I do when I, I love writing. I love writing poetry and I've been uh, trying to discipline myself to write this novel that I had as an idea six years ago. And I'm like, I'm on Maui no more excuses, like get up and write for two hours every morning mm -hmm. until you get to a point where you can put it together, right? But a, a part of that practice for me is reading because if I don't read and get out of my own head and I don't yeah. put myself in another world, like the book I'm reading right now is happening in the Austrian Alps. And so it's so cool to wake up every morning and be in the Alps and, yeah. and be in this different place. And then I come out of that and then I feel inspired to like, create my own thing to use my own imagination because I was just on the other side of the world for an hour <laughs> while I read a book right it is it's so key and you know I, I mean I remember as a kid reading my Nancy Drew books mm -hmm. and then everything can become a source of play you know and I I think that just as adults you lose that um you yeah. you lose that luxury with just having to get to work on time having to do all the things but it's like if you can find those moments of escape you really do you find a reprieve it fills your cup and it it is a creative space you know even in the yoga studio if you're not practicing yoga regularly and if you're not taking classes from other people you just get stagnant mm. and I do I think when you're like like you said reading but when you're taking another class or you're doing this it just kind of like ooh, it gives you ideas for something else and um allows you to just try something new and not every time is it going to be a winner winner chicken dinner right whether you know you're writing or you're painting it doesn't have to be a win every time. It's the process of consistently doing the things so that you know how to get into your flow state in order to then be able to produce. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I'm so glad. So are we you going to the next Harry Potter meeting at yeah, the studio? I, I think, yes. <laughs> happening? Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to attend some <laughs> Harry Potter meetings. I I don't know. I, I'm no, I know that I will enjoy it. Be well, thank you so much because I love that this conversation maybe didn't go a traditional way that a listener might expect of like, they're going to talk about yoga for 45 <laughs> minutes or an hour or whatever. And I love that we got into not only like the practical business side of what you do and what you have done, but also into the creative side and the, you know, the fun of it the and the fun. imagination of, of what we do. And also, I just love that people can, and this is, again, our world today can be so hectic and lived so online and so not relational. 
But when you actually open up and ask people questions and have a conversation, all of a sudden you learn they're a huge Harry Potter fan (laughs) and you just are like fascinated by J.K. Rowling and now it's all coming together. It's it's a joy. It's like a joy to be able to have those conversations. So thank you so much for having this open, honest conversation. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for asking amazing questions. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish, while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com, where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.